So, if God asked you for advice, if God came to you and said, I'm trying to fix what's wrong with the world, what would you say? What advice would you give God about how to fix everything that's gone wrong with the world? What, 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 where would you tell God to start? What would you say are, are the necessary um, resources in order to bring that about? We are in a, a series of messages called Roadmap, and the idea of Roadmap is we, we kind of stand back and we, we look at the map for a minute just to figure out where we're going, that, that, that we believe as people of faith that, that uh, history is going somewhere, that God is going to a particular uh, direction, that God has a destination in mind. And so Roadmap is our opportunity to kind of stand back and, and uh, get, get the big picture before we kind of plunge back down into the 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 details we get a chance to see the forest instead of the trees and so we've been um we've been looking at it and and what i said is that for me the framework that i like is this framework the idea of creation covenant kingdom new covenant new creation that it doesn't have a lot of details you have to kind of hang the details on that right but it gives you the the broad the broad understanding of what it is that god's trying to do and it's short enough that you can remember it, and if you can only remember three, that works, because then you just tack new onto the last two and flip them over. So it's easy enough to remember, but that is that is my understanding of what God is doing, and that's what we've been looking at. So we began with the idea of creation. The idea of creation is that God uh, made everything, that everything that exists is is there because God made it, and that everything that God made is good. So that's where we began. But we all understand that everything is not good now, that somehow something has gone wrong, that, that while we affirm um, that, that creation was made good, something has gone wrong with creation. And that leads us to covenant. And the idea of covenant is the idea that God has uh, committed himself to restoring his good purposes for creation. That God did not say, okay, that's it, I quit, I'm giving up this whole project, I'm just going to move on and do something else. Uh, God didn't say, all right, well, I'm going to throw this one away, but then I'm going to do it again, and this time I'm going to get it right. God did not do those things. God said, I'm going to restore this creation to my original purposes for it, and that God made a commitment. God covenanted to do this, that that um, uh, not just because of what's what's gone wrong in the past, but no matter what goes wrong in the future, that no matter what we might think, God would say, well, that's it, all right, that's the final straw. God has made a covenant and that he will restore what's wrong with creation. But that brings us back to the question about advice. What would you advise God? If God said, okay, um, I've, I've, I've got this commitment, I've made a commitment to restore creation, what's your advice? Or, or he would say, here, let me just narrow it down for you. What should I do about Syria? What should I do about Ebola? What should I do about homelessness or racism? What should I do about people's overextended credit. How would you advise God if God came to you for advice? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to try and say, well, I'm not sure what I should, you know, I, I don't know anything about Ebola. Um, uh, all I know about credit is um, is that there is there are people who are overextended and that's probably a bad thing, right? We don't have to try and stumble our way through an answer to God. We don't have to guess these things. Because Jesus has already told us what we should advise God. He said, he said, when you advise God, he said, when you pray, say this. And a prayer is advice. It's saying, God, I don't get to choose 
but here's my advice. I would like you to do this thing. And he said, say this, our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Jesus says that this is the way you solve the problems of the world. That, that you can, you can stand back and say, well, look, I don't know about Ebola, but I know that if God's kingdom were operating here the way it does in heaven, that would solve that problem. Uh, I don't know what to do with credit, okay, and people who are overextended. I don't know what to do about that, but I know that if God's kingdom were operating here on earth the way it is in heaven, then that would not be a problem. So Jesus advises us to advise God, pray that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as in heaven. So that's what Jesus advised, but it's not a new thing. Jesus did not just think of that that day, you know, on the spur of the moment. His, his disciples came to us and said, what should we advise God when we pray? He didn't just make that up. This is something that the people of God had been had been thinking about for some time, that they, they, had, uh, uh, they had rejected God as king a thousand years earlier. They said, we don't want to have a king. Um, uh, we don't want God to be our king. We want to have a king like all the other nations. And so God said to uh, Eli, he said that they are rejecting me as king and you as judge. Let them have what they want. So God said that they could have, they could have their own kings, but their own kings weren't very good. That, that they were, in fact, just like the kings of the surrounding nations, not very good. And over time, those kingdoms failed. That ultimately Israel was conquered by a succession of empires and the people of Israel were scattered to the surrounding lands. And it is in that context that Ezekiel speaks this prophecy on behalf of God. He says that the people have been scattered, that they are like sheep who have been scattered um, on a dark and cloudy day. And he says, I will rescue them. They, their shepherd is gone. They had these, these kings who were supposed to shepherd them. Those shepherds are gone, so I will rescue them for myself. He says, I will search my, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. They've been scattered to all the surrounding nations. I will restore them to their land. He says, I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them. Yes, I will feed them justice. God says that because there is anarchy, because the kings are gone, because, because the surrounding nations don't care about anything except that Israel is no longer a threat, that, that now the only structures in society are used to oppress, that now there are people who are butting in and getting, getting what they want to, to survive at the expense of weaker people. Um, and so he says, he says, I will, I will find those who have fattened themselves at the expense of others and I will give them justice. So he says, I will do that. So how is he going to do that? He says, I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be a prince among my people. Now, he doesn't mean the David who's been dead for 300 years. He means a future David, a coming king, someone like David, but more so. The king who could do what God has just promised to do, to restore the fortunes of his people Israel, to bring them back from their their lands, to bandage the injured, and to bring about justice in the land. So that's God's promise. And this goes back centuries. So what Jesus said, ask for God's kingdom to come, that's not... That's not a new idea for Jesus right then, that day. This is something that the uh, Israelites have been, have been thinking about for some time. But that's a great hope, but what does it actually look like? The problem is that it's left to our imagination, and our imaginations are not very good. If you tell me there's going to be a king who's going to fix all the problems in the world, I'd probably say, okay, with king, what is it? And I, I basically start trying to imagine 
a king like all the other kings. Now remember, this is the problem that we started with, right? We want to have a king like all the other kings. And he, so, so give me one of those, but just make him more so. Just turn the knob up. Um, just crank up the power. I want a king like that, but more so. He should have, he should have a bigger army. He should have a higher crown. He should have a whiter horse. I just want the same as everybody else has got, but more so. That was kind of the picture that people had. But that's not, that's not what they really needed. Their imagination was the problem. They couldn't imagine what was really needed for God to be their king again. But a different type of kingdom needs a different type of king. That the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdoms of the world. And so we need a different type of king. And the the scriptures describe that. The, the different biographies of Jesus describe how Jesus came as a different type of king. Jesus is not only the Savior, but Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the one that God had promised, this king that Ezekiel had foreseen. Jesus is that king, but he is a different kind of king. And so the, the biographies we read in the, in the Bible uh, about Jesus uh, illustrate how different a king Jesus is. But for me, one of the most significant passages that, that highlight the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world is the one from John 19, the one we heard, the trial that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion. Because it is a stark contrast between the king of the world and the king of God's kingdom. It is a contrast between Pilate and Jesus. Because Pilate is the most powerful man there is. He's the governor. He rules in place of Caesar. This is a day before mass communications, it's before electronics, it was before uh, jet engines. Um, he was the emperor in Judea. And he was subject to review. He could make a decision and then somebody would put it in a boat and it would go back to Rome and a couple of months later an answer would come back from Caesar and Caesar might say, actually, I would have preferred you did something else instead, so go back and fix that. He could, he could be second-guessed by Caesar, but it would be months before that answer came back. So that day, in that room, Pilate is Caesar. Pilate is the most powerful man in the ancient world. And just a few minutes ago, he had explained to Jesus, don't you realize, I have the power to release you or crucify you. He knows that he is the man with all the power. Jesus has no power. Jesus is just some some wandering rabbi from out of town, and he shows up to confront the most powerful man in the ancient world. So how does that how does that play out? Well, our passage begins where um, John writes. Then Pilate tried to release him. Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, "If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar." Pilate tried to release Jesus. How many of you remember Empire Strikes Back? There is no try. This is the most powerful man in the ancient world. And he tries to release Jesus. And he fails. He has all the power in the room and he is defeated. Jesus doesn't even raise his voice. In fact, in this passage, he doesn't say a word. But Jesus emerges victorious. Jesus is recognized by the king of the earth as the king 
in the kingdom of God. Jesus is a different type of king. Our imaginations fail us. We think what we want is that guy on the white horse, the one with a bigger crown and a bigger army. But Jesus comes as a humble king. Jesus says that, that while the kings of the earth lord it over their subjects, not so with us. He says that the one who would serve, uh, the one who would be highest would be the servant of all. He says that the Son of Man came not to to be served, but to serve and to give his um, life um, an atonement for all. Jesus illustrates different type of values from the kings of the earth. Where the kings of the earth want to amass power, Jesus seeks to surrender it. Where the kings of the earth defeat their enemies, Jesus loves them and teaches us to love them as well. Jesus is a different type of king. And a different type of king has a different type of kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not what you expect either. That if you are expecting the kind of king that Pilate would have or Caesar would have, only more so, then you're wrong about that too. That your imagination has failed because all you can see is the kingdoms of the earth, only more so. Jesus says that's the wrong way to look at my kingdom. Jesus says my kingdom is humble, like me. Jesus says that my kingdom is unassuming. It is unpretentious. It does not announce itself with trumpets. Jesus says, my kingdom is hard to detect. It's like yeast that a woman puts into a batch of dough in order to make bread. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. That if you're not careful, you'll walk right by it. You'll miss it. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed in the ground and night and day when you don't see what's going on in the ground, the seed is growing and he doesn't understand how it happens. Jesus says, this is my kingdom. It is not like the kingdoms of the earth. It is a humble kingdom. A different type of kingdom with a different type of king. But Jesus said something else about his kingdom. He said, it is available to us now. From the very beginning of his ministry to the very end, Jesus said that the kingdom of God had come near, that it was available to us right now. He begins his ministry in Mark's biography, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. He says, repent. He says, rethink. Rethink what you think you know about kingdoms and about God and about sin. Rethink everything because the kingdom of God is available right now. Be careful you don't miss it. Jesus says this kingdom is available right now. So let me ask you, you know, we, we talked about Ebola in Syria, but let's, let's see if we can bring that down to our own lives, right? What, what would the kingdom look like in your life? Jesus says it is available to us by faith. And I don't know what your tradition is growing up. Um, a lot of people get this idea that what that means is you pray a certain prayer and uh, as soon as you pray the prayer, you get forgiveness. And then when you die, you get to go to the kingdom of heaven. That's the way a lot of people understand this. What Jesus is getting at is he's saying, he's saying the kingdom is available now, but you have to believe it's there. You have to believe that you can be a part of the kingdom right now, that you can have the kingdom of God operating in your life. What you pray for in the King, in the Lord's Prayer, you can have in your life. 
So what would that look like? That broken relationship. If it was part of the kingdom of God, if God's kingdom was reigning over that broken relationship, how would it be different? Or what about the money? You know, you know, the money that it was supposed to be a loan, but, you know, time has gone by and, you know, we just don't talk about it anymore and it's kind of become this gift. What would happen to that in the kingdom of God? If we lived in the kingdom of God, what would our credit card say about us if we lived in the kingdom of God? You know, we keep trying to pay it off and we keep not. What would that look like if it, if we brought that with us into the kingdom of God? What would that look like? These are real questions because Jesus says the kingdom of God is available to us right now. What would it look like? That guy at work with the politics, the one that's so offensive. What would it be like for us if we lived in the kingdom of God? The kingdom that has one command to love as we have been loved by Jesus. What would that look like in the kingdom of God? I know the temptation is to say, yeah, but see, that's the kingdom of weakness, and I need a kingdom of power. If I'm going to take on these problems, I need God's power in a dramatic way. Really, what I'm looking for is the Revelation 19 kind of power. I need the guy on the white horse. I need the sword, the armies of heaven following behind him, because my problems are too big for the kind of problems that Jesus brought with him to that courtroom that day. See, that was just the problems of the whole world, and Jesus defeated those problems with weakness and love. But my problems are too big. My problems are so big, I need that dramatic, the king who comes on a white horse. I need the one with the sword. Well, you'll get, you'll get that someday. But Jesus says you can have this right now. And if you're holding out for the kingdom of force, the kingdom of swords and armies, will you be happy if it turns out to be a different type of kingdom? What are you holding out for? Jesus says you can have his kingdom right now. You can begin living in his life, living your life in his kingdom today. Imagine what it would be like if Christians around the world lived in God's kingdom. Jesus has said it has come near. Imagine if we actually lived it out in our lives. Imagine if those relationships, if our finances, if if our workplace, if our schools became part of the kingdom of God because we insisted on living out our belief that the kingdom of God was there. That's the promise that Jesus holds up for us. It's something that we can only accept by faith or not at all. There's, we will never see it because it is like a seed growing in the ground. It is like yeast hidden in a dough. We will not see it, but like yeast hidden in the dough, the effects are obvious. What would it be like if we lived out our faith, if we lived in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our imaginations are not good. We want the, 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 the king, the king that, that Israel wanted, the king that Jesus was not like, the king of power, and authority, and Jesus comes as a servant. And so, Lord, we ask you, first of all, to help us to understand that a different type of kingdom requires a different type of king. 
And then, Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith that we can live in that invisible kingdom, that we can live in his unseen empire, and that we can be a part of that kingdom. We can bring our problems and our our relationships into it today, and that they can be governed by his loving reign. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.